right, man, this is episode number 61 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is being recorded on Sunday, May 28th, 2023 at 11.58 a.m. Memorial Day weekend. That means a lot of us do not have to return to work until a little bit later. Uh, So for those of you, for those of us who are able to get that free time, it's important to uh, use that time wisely, to use that time exactly as you intend to, whether that be getting some reading done or writing done or watching done, any of the above or whatever it is you need to do, man. You know, you have the free time, so you definitely want to, you know, when you go back to work and, you know, you go back to your 9 to 5, you realize that, like, all right, I used it wisely. I used it exactly as how I wanted to use it. Whatever that may be, it's completely up to you. It's completely in the eye of the beholder. And with it being Memorial Day weekend, Hope you guys are taking a look at Vinegar Syndrome's yearly Halfway to Black Friday sale. A lot of new titles that are going to be coming. Very uh, much looking forward to finally getting a 4K of The Boogeyman. That had a previous Blu-ray from, um, I forget, somewhat the company in the UK that always had, always stood out to me as the the red Blu-ray cases. Um, But that's uh, directed by, uh, uh, what the hell's his name, Uh, Uli Lamel. And very good film, and I think above all else, that kind of got overshadowed by some of the other announcements that were uh, being put out, like, you know, the uh, 4K of Showgirls being released, and uh, A Blade in the Dark, which I haven't seen, um, but I'm very curious about. Uh, who drew it? I think that was, yeah, Lumberto Bava. I don't know why I always think that's Umberto Lindsay. Don't know why about that. But definitely looking forward to the Boogeyman as well. Uh... I recently saw Sick of Myself. I think I talked about that recently. I don't know if I did or not. And it's an interesting film that they would be distributing distributing themselves. Because um, that's a utopia film that I initially had just thought ooh, they were going to put that out on Blu-ray themselves. But Vinegar Syndrome are putting it out themselves under their Vinegar Syndrome Pictures label. They've also done, distributed, I should say, Censor. And the scary of 61st, neither of which I've seen. Um, but Sick of Myself is pretty good. It's an enjoyable enough film. It's, uh, it's an enjoyable tale about a uh, narcissist who is just going to extremes to uh, keep up her narcissistic lifestyle and her, uh, you know, her boyfriend with her, who is uh, also an interesting character as well. It's, it's a film that it's by no means. A very deep script. It's, it's very surface level. It's very much like you're not going to miss what the film is trying to say, but that's all right. You know what to talk about with films like Triangle of Sadness, where no one's going to uh, say it's a very deep uh, or intellectual script in terms of its message. There's no missing it, but it's all about if the film itself is, is good, is enjoyable. And in these cases, I've mentioned multiple times, I'm a big fan of Triangle of Sadness. I think Rupert Austin's a very, uh, very good filmmaker who has gotten uh, better, I feel, like with each of his films. Each of his films that I've seen, I've enjoyed more than the last. Um, as I've said before, Force Majeure, I think, is good. Um, the Square, I think, is very good. And Triangle of Sadness, I think, is great. And Second Myself is worth worthy of your time if you know what you're getting into. It's a, a good lead performance by the main actor. I don't know her name. This is a Norwegian film. Kristen Kujath Thorpe. Okay. Uh, and the, I think her boyfriend in the film. Or no, was that, I think, not her boyfriend. You know, I don't have names up. I don't have names and pictures up right here, so... Either way, the other male actor is, is very good as well. Worth watching for sure. I definitely liked it um, with all these titles that are available. 
they are uh, half off for the weekend until tomorrow when this is being recorded. Unless you're a subscriber, then they're going to be half off as is uh, for most of the titles. But anyways, there's plenty of good titles here. A lot of good partner label titles that are released. Um, so if you're curious about any of them, uh, now is the time to really kind of take hold and, and grab some of these, man. Because um, there's some really terrific stuff here that's available. Uh, I read the other day, interestingly enough, a little while ago, I talked about reading the, uh, the book Anger, uh, written, I must have directed, written by Bill Landis. And I talked about Kenneth Anger, the prolific, experimental, uh, transgressive filmmaker who's made many, many uh, influential avant-garde films. Lucifer Rising, Scorpio Rising, Rising uh, Invocation of My Demon Brother. Uh, Fireworks was, I, I think, technically a second, but from what I remember, I think he considers it his first. It's the one that, you know, he showed a lot in the... Uh, I think part of the, what it was it called the Magic Lantern cycle when if if I'm remembering correctly so I apologize if I'm getting this incorrectly but when he would show uh, certain of his films together as and as uh, I think that's what he called the Magic Lantern cycle but I should say he passed away uh, on May 11th so actually passed away uh, a little couple of weeks ago actually. But I think I read it the other day, so I guess the news may have not gotten out immediately. But it was 96, man. And uh, after reading that book, which came out, I believe, in the early 2000s or late 90s, because I think he did some stuff after uh, in the mid-2000s. Um, but I think, technically speaking, the, where, the, where the book goes up to, I think might be primarily it, it primarily talks about Lucifer Rising sort of being at the end of his films. I thought although I don't remember if they talked about the film Hollywood Babylon. Um which I also say, of course, he's uh very notable for um his not his his book work with Hollywood Babylon in nineteen fifty nine being a sort of uh gossip tell all of the underbellies of Hollywood. Um many of which have been debunked, many of which are just pure speculation. Some of them have nuggets of truth, but overall it's uh, primarily n- uh, uh, n- nuggets of, of non-fiction in a, in a fiction novel. It's sort of like like Faces of Death, you know? It's like, all right, well, a lot of this is fake, but some of this is real, you know? And um, a different medium, of course. And he also told about Babylon 2 in 1984, which he... Uh, didn't want to do, but finances were tough. I should really say that um, to, to check out that book, man, to check out Anger by Bill Landis, it's just such a fascinating portrait of just this guy and going through the late 20th century when uh, all these just really cool different filmmaking movements were happening, the great portions of him in the 60s and sort of uh, the experimental filmmakers of the time and a lot of the transgressive artists or, or pop culture artists, you know, uh, intertwining with him. And uh, there's some great stuff by Andy Warhol in there, who I find to be a, a very fascinating uh, person. I find him as a person more fascinating than his work. But um, uh, he came up recently in another book that I read, uh, Shooting Midnight Cowboy, uh, directed by the great John Schlesinger. And there's a whole great section about him in that book. And um, 
one of the places they were filming at. And uh, yeah, both these books are definitely worth uh, worthy of your time. And they're going to make you want to watch these films for sure. I, I bought that BFI collection of Kenneth Anger's work shortly after I finished reading it, which I still haven't cracked open yet. But I got it in the other room. And of course, uh, after you read Shooting Midnight Cowboy, it'll make you want to watch the film, which I haven't watched in quite a number of years. And I still have not gone back to rewatch since that book, but it is on the radar for some point. Um, I also read today, interestingly enough, this is just a light, nice little tidbit, that today is the birthday of one Jean-Pierre Laoud, if I said his last name correctly. I noticed I've been pronouncing a lot of French names incorrectly lately in a lot of French films, but um, most known for, uh, in my opinion, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say the best because there's no, I, I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing in objectivity in art, but I should say my favorite French film, uh, The 400 Blows, 1959, directed by uh, Francois Truffaut, and that started a whole mini-series of films, like Stolen Kisses and Bed and Board, and there's about five or six of them, which I haven't seen them all, but I've liked all of them, but he's also been in plenty of other films, Irma Vap, and Masculine Feminine, who's in some, some of uh, Godard's work, um, and uh, even recently he's been in stuff like uh, Le Havre from 2011, which is a very, uh, very good film as well. But 79 this year, so I just wanted to mention that if you're unfamiliar with his work, I think he's one of these guys where if you've seen enough French films, then he's gonna you, you'll you'll see the face pop up. It's like you watch enough Italian films, and you're gonna hear Edward Mannix's voice, you know, more than once, man. You watch about, and I should say, Italian genre films. You know, you watch enough Dario Argento or, or Lucio Fulci or, um, or or any kind of genre films like Baba, you're gonna you're gonna hear that voice, you know. Anyways, with that said. I want to talk about, uh, I guess I'll talk about this main documentary that I watched recently because I've mentioned before in the show, uh, I think that a good documentary can be better than a great film um, because you find yourself going down more into the real life parts of the real life rabbit hole of the subject in question and find yourself uh, fascinated with the context at which that documentary was released. I've talked about many great documentaries in the show. Uh, the Bridge, uh, let's see, Hands in a Hard Body, the Devil at Your Heels, um, High School, it might be It, I believe. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Moving on from there. We're going to talk about a terrific documentary from 2011. And uh, just to give you a time frame of how long it takes me to watch certain films that are recommended, um, I take every film recommendation seriously. Uh, for the most part, I, uh, unless it's, uh, rarely is there a case where I'm just completely disinterested in a film and I, I just have absolutely zero interest in watching it. It's extremely rare. Um, I try to watch everything I can. Um, but this was a film I heard about on a podcast back in 2011 and it is now 12 years later and I'm just now watching it. Um, cause my, my watch list right now, I mean, I've only in the past two years or so gotten serious about, um, putting it all together. Because, uh, I don't know, I think people format what they watch differently. I never I never have a problem with what to watch. It doesn't, you know, I have a whole system set up with what I will watch next, whether owning or streaming or anything like that. But my current list to, let me see if I can pull this up here. My current list to stream as is on various streaming services online or on the internet or anything like that is I currently have about 1,098 titles, just purely streaming, um, and it's growing more and more every day. So just a bit of a context in terms of how long it can take me to watch some films. But glad I finally did. Better late than ever. A fascinating documentary written and directed by John Foy. Uh, also co-written 
by Colin Smith. This is the documentary Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toynbee Tiles. And like I said, I remember hearing about this a long, long time ago. It sounded incredibly fascinating. And already they were talking about something supernatural with this or something otherworldly. It's, you know, that's a whole other conversation right there. But what this is, is that this spans over about two decades or so. We have this main guy, Justin Dewar, who has been fascinated with these tiles that have been popping up uh, around certain parts of the country and even in South America, I believe it was. And it's these tiles that are part of the ground. They're like part of the pavement. It's, it's like part of the actual road. And what's interesting is that the tiles themselves are in places where they're in places like in entryways of like tunnels to a highway. So somebody, you know, somebody couldn't have walked out there and done it. It's on a highway, but they have various cryptic messages. And the main one in the film, let me pull this one up here. The main one in the film that kind of kickstarts the catalyst of this is a cryptic one, such as Toynbee idea in Kubrick's 2001 resurrect dead on planet Jupiter. And you think, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) And then we get more tiles that have popping up that are similar kinds of messages. A lot of them refer to resurrect dead on planet Jupiter and Kubrick's 2001. And uh, let's see here. I want to see if I can find a different kind of one. Some of them are are much more degraded than others. Some of them are uh, illegible now, or illegible now, I should say. House of Hades, One Man versus American Media in Society 2012. I think that might be a newer one. no idea. Uh, let's see what this one says. House of Hades, tiles made from the ground bones of dead journalists. Plague plus famine to them all. And you're going, what the hell does that mean? And that's what the documentary is in part trying to answer what the hell does these tiles mean who and what is going on with them. You know, they talk about the, they break down each line of it. The first line, Toynbee idea. Second line, in movie 2001. Third line, resurrect dead. Last line on Planet Jupiter. They break down each one, but also the mystery. And this is what I, what I say that a good documentary can be better than a great film, is you are completely captivated to the story, because already your mind is racing to various questions. What the hell does this mean? How are these being placed around? They're still going on. What is happening here? And this documentary, it was, well, there's not a, it's, this is one that's also a little tricky to talk about because. It is a mystery that every sequence in the film is unlayering more and more and more. Where he starts reaching out, he finds... And this is like the early days of the internet. So this guy, Justin Dewar, is going online and is talking about, Hey, does anybody know what's going on with these tiles? And he finds other people that are like, Yeah, I found these two. What's going on? We don't have answers. And they start to break down what the tiles mean. And then he starts getting involved with other people who may know more about uh, what's going on with these. And they have suspects as to who's doing it. And even though this film was made in 2011, it's sort of the last real update of the story has been when this film came out. Because I uh, like you get invested in any documentary. You want to research about the film afterwards, research if there's been any updates on anything, if it's you know, a situation where... Um, the story may have some, still have some holes that are not completely filled. And this doesn't, this only has this partially, but when you look up kind of what's happened in the last 13 years since the documentary came out, there's not a lot of updates really on this. Because when the documentary reaches a conclusion, there is something of an, a conclusion to the story, but it's not a closed 
book to the story. There are still some questions that are that are not answered in this, that won't be answered, you know, for various reasons. But it's a film that when you start really just getting engaged with the mystery and certain things are being... Oh, I should also say as well, what's very fascinating, which the part of the film that I, I loved, um, because when I was probably about five or six years ago, maybe maybe more than that, I've always had kind of a, a, a fascination with pirate broadcasting. Uh, I think everybody kind of knows about the... Um, Max Headroom kind of a, a channel hijacking, like some pretty famous one, still unsolved to this day. About uh, if you don't know that whole story, that's a yeah, I recommend looking that up. That's a fascinating, um, that's a fascinating account. One of my favorite uh, YouTube channels that I, I still watch sometimes is this guy, um, the Oddity Archive. He talks about all those kind of like uh, like when I read that I was talking about that book a little while ago, American Ecstasy. Um, and that was one that had like, that, that was a, uh, an older kind of, uh, uh, public on demand kind of, uh, adult networks and all that stuff's fascinating. And what this film does is that, um, so there's a part in the film where he talks about, uh, that at, at certain weird times that the, uh, local residents of, of this area, they're getting these, uh, strange messages on their TV. It was like, uh, and they're, and they're, and you're like, what the hell is all that about? And how it connects to these tiles. He goes to this, conve- he goes to this convention of these kind of amateur kind of um, broadcasting enthusiasts or like ham radio enthusiasts. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, all that stuff was just so fascinating. I just I, That's a whole other just personal interest right there I find great. But like I said before, when it comes to a film like this, is that you just can't take your eyes off the screen. You're just wondering how far does this go? what can be answered. And by the time you get to the conclusion of the film, you, there is that feeling of satisfaction where even though not everything is answered, um, there are just some things that aren't going to be answered. I mean, and when you see the film and understand, um, you do walk away feeling like, okay, there, there's, you really got something out of it. That's more long lasting than a great film that you can watch. And, um, you just you don't remember i mean i mean there's plenty of i mean i saw a film the other day i thought was nearly great i thought it was really exceptionally directed the cinematography was incredible the acting was incredible well i remember in a year i I mean only time will tell man but i mean there's documentaries i've seen 10 15 years ago that i'm still thinking about i'm still thinking about capturing the freedmans when i saw it in high school i'm still thinking about the thin blue line um you know all these just incredible films dear zachary you know i just these these documentaries that i know some of these are more somber than others so they kind of stick with you for that reason but um this was one that that i just was completely engaged with from beginning to end i and um it, it is i don't know the availability of it but i watched it on youtube so it is on there but a completely fascinating story and it's short too. It's 86 minutes. So you can watch this pretty quickly, but yeah, if any and all documentary fans or fans of mystery, you know, this is one that I, I think I prefer this kind of format, uh, for a, a, a story being told because it's, this is something where you could definitely see. And I'm sure the Netflix miniseries are, are good and all that. I've heard, you know, exceptional things about all the true crime, you know, ones that I've, I've kind of had a bit of a, bit of a, a surge in popularity in the last 10 or so years. But sometimes when I see the six or seven kind of episode format, I, I really start to question whether or not it um, really warrants that. You know, I remember the one about the, um, what the hell is his name? The, what the hell was his name? <laughs> oh, God. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's the and I won't get into the details of it because you know I'm that's a whole other conversation. But the uh, the Luca Magnata, who is a he got in for me online for putting some disturbing videos on the internet, and then he ended up uh, murdering a guy. And I I read I heard that Netflix did a series about that, and I'm thinking, well, the story's not that. This this could be a two hour documentary. There's not that much there to the story, you know. I mean, it's just like so something like this. I can I can see stretched out to five or six episodes when it, there's just not that much there for that. But for an hour and a half documentary, it's, it's like perfect. You're engaged from beginning to end, and I love this. This is this is one of the best things I've seen this year. And it reminds me of another documentary that I have never talked about on the show, but is another one that I watched a couple of years ago, and just. That was so fascinating, man. This, I think this one got a little bit more attention. I remember when it came out, and I didn't see it for about a couple years or so, but it's one that, like Resurrect Dead, it's, it's a lot better, you know, with these documentaries, you, you really, you got to walk on eggshells recommending them because if you give too much of these films away, that's not to say you won't still like it, but because you already have certain expectations up to a point. And this documentary was tickled from 2016, and the setup for this film is great. You have this journalist, uh, David Ferrier, who works, um, so he works for uh, this, he's uh, he's from New Zealand, works for this online publication, and he get, and he comes across these, uh, I don't remember if it was one video or multiple videos, of these uh, shirtless, kind of good-looking guys, they're tied up, and they're being tickled. And he's like, what the hell is this all about? And uh, But he thinks it's kind of humorous. He has like a couple, I think from what I can remember, I didn't write down any notes for this or anything like that. But um, So he comes across these and he's like, all right, I'm going to write an article about this. This is, this is strange. Because I think that's what he like primarily wrote about these kind of like oddities, these, these odds and ends, these kind of strange things. So he writes about this. He says like, because uh, he's he's gay himself. So he says like, there's a weird kind of homoerotic, uh, you know, uh, feeling with these videos. I mean, you got these shirtless guys and they're tickling each other. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? He gets a message one day from somebody involved in these videos, and it's a very aggressive message calling him uh, various uh, homophobic slurs. He's he's saying there's nothing homoerotic about this, like how dare you, this and that. And So what would have been just a kind of a funny little story starts to snowball into something bigger where David Ferrier's like, like what the hell is with this message? Right? I got I to gotta see what is going on with this story. And there we get the story of Tickle. Next, rather, I actually want to leave it. I'd recommend not watching the trailer. I don't think the trailer gives a lot away. But for a film like this, I remember when I watched it, I was just completely on the edge of my seat. The tone differences in this film are so well done. This goes from absurd and comedic to, at moments, frightening for the filmmakers, where you're wondering how, one, how deep does this go? And two, how far are they willing to go for this documentary? Some of these people, are they dangerous? Are, you know, we get into some characters in this film who, uh, you just, there's some sketchy people and you're like, what is going on with this story? But like what I was saying, Resurrect Dead, you just cannot take your eyes off the screen and you're finding yourself going, how the hell is this story going to end? And one thing I do, it's almost mandatory if you watch this film, is that there is a follow-up. So the film is released plays at some festivals or whatever. And then their HBO did a 30 minute uh, follow-up where they talk about, they, they recap the film a little bit, you know, what, how the story ended and all that. And then the next part of the story and where that ends, it's uh, that could possibly lead into another documentary. I would love to see a, another documentary, but it's, it's a film, man. It's this is more tense than uh, than certain genre films, man. Because I mean, for one, the the, the most shallow reason being that uh, it's a documentary, so you're watching this all, and 
you know, you know, you know that this guy, David Ferrier, is still alive. So, you know, he didn't die or anything like that. But you're just wondering, like, like how how far is this guy willing to go to make this film? Something that would have just been a, 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 a simple story has now turned into this whole other big thing. And actually looking at his uh, filmography here. So he did the follow up, uh, which is the second, which is 2017, which is the 30 minute one I was talking about. I think this is the same one. Yeah, okay, this is actually about 20 minutes. And then... And uh, looking at his filmography for some of his later work, um, he did a series, uh, a short-lived, I think, miniseries for Netflix called Dark Tourist. Uh, also a documentary. From a nuclear lake to a haunted forest. New Zealand filmmaker and journalist David Ferrier... I might be saying his last name wrong, I, I understand. Uh, visits unusual and often macabre tourism spots around the world. This guy, this guy could have been directed Mondo Kane if he was around. He also did around that, I should say. And he also has a new feature. Now, this one I gotta see for sure. A new documentary that came out last year called Mr. Organ. Journalist David Ferrier is drawn into a game of cat and mouse with a mysterious individual. Delving deeper, he unearths the trail of court cases, royal bloodlines, and ruined lives in this true story of psychological warfare. Very cool. And it's what I was talking about before when I, uh, when I was talking about uh, some of Michael Moore's films is that um, whether you like or dislike uh, his his films, I think it's undeniable that he had a monumental part in bringing documentaries into the mainstream in the 21st century, especially after the uh, uh, films, the success of films with uh, Bowling for Columbine and, and Fahrenheit 9-11, these films that uh, no matter what side of the argument you were on, they had people talking. And um, I think that's something that now is not really, I mean, there's exceptions, of course, there's uh, documentaries that come out that that do cross over into the mainstream kind of acclaim, you know, I remember in the, I think I talked about before, when the Mr. Rogers one came out, the um, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that was one that, uh, you know, seeing the trailer for that in, in the, a major, you know, cinema, and a major chain cinema, was something exceptional, and then uh, a documentary like Free Solo, came out that uh, the National Geographic made, which was a terrific film. I mean, it's, I think that, you know, I was playing across like IMAXs and stuff. And I know IMAXs, they would used to show a lot more of their, their own made documentaries and which were, should you get the opportunity to see a documentary film that IMAX, you're going to, you're in for it once you're in for just something incredibly exceptional. But that's why every documentary that's out, I mean, I tried to just be totally on that. You know, I saw one the other day, uh, I should say yesterday, actually, about uh, Yogi Berra was a famous baseball player and just the incredible life that he's had. And it's somebody who I had no idea who he was. I, I couldn't tell you much about baseball, but that documentary uh, was just incredibly moving. It was just a, a beautiful tribute to someone who's been overlooked um, and sort of, sort of made the, 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 the runt of the joke and, or the punt of the joke, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's just, of, of all the genres, that's the one you really want to be kind of more on, you know, because you're going to, there's just so many terrific ones that are going to stay with you. Like I said, you know, like uh, Capturing the Freedmans and, um, you know, all the, uh, the, um, 
all the uh, Frederick Wiseman ones, you know, Take Up Follies and High School and Hospital and uh, Model. And it's just like, you, you just all, you, you, I mean, I've said before, if most of his work is on Canopy, which is a free service through uh, your local library. Um, because outside of Canopy, his films can be a little tricky to come across. And, um, and uh, they are available to buy on his website, but um, for pretty uh, exorbitant prices, to, to say the least. But, I mean, amazing documentary filmmaker, just incredible. I, I talked about that film high school a little while ago and thought it was just an incredible film. Uh, it's just one of the best uh, films I had seen, period, uh, last year. But definitely get on that, man. You know, get on his work. Get on more documentaries. You're, you're going you're to get more out of it, man. See documentaries of subjects, of topics that you wouldn't normally see. You know, some of that, some things that may seem uncomfortable or uh, you may disagree with whether ideologically or politically or anything like that, because by doing that, you're going to form yourself a more educated and full opinion rather than just whatever is tailored to you. Um, yeah, that's really all I have for this one. I was, uh, it's supposed to be the tradition. I always have more films I intend to talk about, but I just don't have the time to get to it. And time is something that we don't want to waste. So that'll be it for this one it's a beautiful day out uh, oh my gosh it's just like perfect grilling weather man you got to take advantage of days like these man it's just something else it almost makes you emotionally go outside to look at it it's truly exceptional but have a great weekend be aware of memorial day remember those who have uh fallen it's just uh, it's gonna be a good time this weekend all right guys all right that's all i got